So March is Women's History Month. And back in March 2022, I was asked to help co-host a great panel featuring women leaders with Blake Banner from Virginia Physical Therapy Association. Now, I gotta be honest, I was a little nervous doing this. I mean, I host things pretty often, but this was a very specific and very special event taking place at a special time. And I was the only guy involved. So I was nervous, mostly, because I didn't want to screw it up. (laughs) Now, the purpose was to celebrate Women's History Month, but that's really just the beginning. I always look for the theme that winds up magically emerging, the theme that you never actually planned on, but it shows up. And what I took away from our five guests and their vastly different stories was how vastly different their stories were, but how much we got to learn. They each defined success in their end goals, but they also defined success in how they achieved their goals so differently. This year's theme was providing healing, promoting hope. If you listen, you get to learn from Carmen Elliott, VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the American Physical Therapy Association, Karen Godley, VP of Operations in Virginia of Select Physical Therapy, Danelle Dixon, owner of Performance Plus Physical Therapy, Dion Jewell, who is the president and CEO of Sheltering Arms Corporation and Hospital, and Elizabeth Locke, executive director and associate professor at Keene University. Now, I decided to wait to release this as a podcast episode because maybe we shouldn't only be celebrating women's history in March. So we're bringing this to you now because right now feels like a great time to celebrate women, doesn't it? Thanks to our friends from Jackson Therapy Partners for supporting the show, providing awesome adventures in patient care for physical therapists who care about where they're going. Find them online at jacksontherapy.com. An EMR is a physical therapist, as a hammer is to a carpenter. You deserve to love using it. MW Therapy delivers a modern, all-in-one outpatient PT EMR with built-in tools that help you solve the problems that you face each and every day. Find them online at mwtherapy.com, where switching your EMR is easy. And finally, our friends at Physical Therapy and Balance Centers, you should know this. On average, a private practice that joins the physical network grows more than 40%. So if you're ready to discover how the largest network of PT private practice owners are growing and adapting to industry changes, visit physicalfranchise.com. That's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L franchise.com. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This is the PT Hello, Podcast. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having a great evening. Uh, thank you for joining us for our panelist discussion, Women Can Lead, Five Stories of Becoming a Leader in Physical Therapy. So as you may or may not know, March is Women's History Month. And as a way to celebrate, we wanted to highlight just a few of the women leaders in physical therapy to not just share their story to leadership, but hopefully inspire and motivate others to do the same. As we're working through um, the panel discussion today, please feel free to add comments in the live stream chat. We'll be addressing them as they come up, and there will also be a segment for comments to be answered at the end of the panel as well. Um, I will be co-facilitating with Jimmy McKay, and we're looking forward to having an awesome event and evening. Was that my cue? That was my cue. That come was on. Cue. Okay. 
Okay. Just wanted to make sure. Blake, I'm excited to be here. Yes. It's going to be an awesome evening. These women are amazing. They have stories to share and they are just amazing. That's the one word that I can describe them as. All right. So I'm going to ask you a question before we ask them a question. Is that okay? Absolutely. All right. So if you were to define success now, because PTs love to set goals at the end of this, how would you, what one word would you say you want this to be Define success in one word? Um, for this event, it would be inspiring, not just for yourself, but to inspire others to lead, take charge, and even serve as a mentor to someone else who you might be able to lift up. Yeah. For me, it's I love when people come into something and they say, I heard something that made me think that something I wanted that didn't think was possible is now possible. And we did do a pre-call. We didn't script anything. We did a pre-call with some of these women, well, all the women. And um, I think that more than one person in the audience is going to get that experience. And that for me would be success. I can co-sign on that. All right. <laughs> so if you want to introduce the guests, it'll be like a, like a, like a, like a football game preview. I can bring them on one by one as you give them interest. We'll bring them out one by one. <laughs> Build suspense. All right. Who should we bring in first? All right. So first we have Dr. Danelle Dixon. Hi, Hi. Thanks for joining Hi. us. We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. All right. So bring to the stage next, we have Dion Jewell. Dion, welcome. Dion, the phrase from 2020 is creeping up. You're on mute. Bottom left-hand corner. It's not letting me unmute. Oh, there, there we go. go. <laughs> Dion, the strikes again. All right. Next, we have Carmen Elliott. Carmen, welcome. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Hi. Up next, we have Dr. Elizabeth Lott. Good evening, Lott. everyone. And thank you so much for having me. And last but not least, uh, Dr. Karen Godley. Hello, so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome, so these are our amazing panelists that will be sharing their story, their journey, how they got to leadership. And they'll also be sharing with you, not just the good parts, but the bad parts. Um, this is gonna be a very authentic conversation. Um, and again, feel free to write in the chat. We want this to be interactive. This isn't a lecture, this is a panel. Please feel free to utilize their brains, um, everything that they've been experiencing to see how you can make the most of this experience while we're on live today. All right, so are you ladies ready to kind of start things off, get it going? All right, well, um, we can start off. I'm just gonna kind of pick someone. So Dr. Donnell, why leadership? Why, why not leadership? I, I think we are in a very unique time in history that, um, women are finding themselves at the forefront of the things that are necessary, leading the things that are necessary to move us forward um, and to really evolve our society. We are at the forefront of education. We are at the forefront of innovation. We are at the forefront of technology. And of course, in the PT world, um, we are now getting on the verge of leadership and really stepping into these amazing roles. Um, and I think women are an amazing resource and bring so much to the table um, that can enhance leadership and give a different view of leadership from a very different perspective. Um, and I think after the crazy times that's happened just in the last two years, we are ready for change. We are ready for innovation. We are ready for new things. Um, so why not? It's time for us to have something new, to go in a different direction, and to lead with the things that's very unique to women um, that we can bring to the table. All right, so I've, I've, got, a, I've got a question here for, uh, for you, Dr. Dixon. Um, you, you described yourself in, in our pre-call last week, we were sort of like just trying to figure out what this was going to be. 
and used a phrase that I thought was very interesting. I wanted to see what it meant was people know me as, and you said people know me as, and then you listed several things and that phrase people know me as, and then you went to describe what they knew you as. And it was so many different things. So many different people knew you as so many different things. And for some reason that stuck with me or when I heard that it was very interesting. And I wanted you to talk about that phrase, how you used it and what do people know you as then well, you, were, you were describing a then moment and then a now so people know me as just give me all the hard questions <laughs> <laughs> so i would say um people know me as from from a professional standpoint people know me as the um the physical therapist that works with dancers um as a former dancer i entered the physical therapy world from having an injury um, and through that process, really had a, a real revelation of how impactful it can be to guide someone through a process where they don't feel empowered and they're scared and they have no idea what's going on. Um, the emotional, the mental, and of course, the physical impact that injuries have on anyone. If you've ever been injured or ever experienced pain, you know this very well. And having someone there that you can trust to guide you through that process was something that really stuck with me. Um, so it really influenced my decision to move from the direction of medicine into physical therapy and to just blend that with my passion of working with dancers that I had an intimate connection with. So most people know me as having, you know, one foot in the dance world as a former dancer and also as a physical therapist. But um, like many women, you know, we are not um, just one person. We are not just one thing. We wear many hats and we have different talents. And I do bring other things to the table as most of the amazing women on this panel do. Um, I'm also uh, I'm also a sister. I'm also a cat mom. I'm also a daughter. I'm also a cousin. I'm also a friend. I'm also an entrepreneur. I'm also a business leader. I'm also um, a mentor and a coach. I also an innovator. You know, we are, and these are all hats, and these seems like very big, um, intimidating words. But these are all things that we all do in our sphere of influence. We all do this every single day, and a lot of times we don't give ourselves credit for that. So um, people know me as Dr. D. The dance PT is the final answer. Good wrap up. I like that. Well done. <laughs> Blake, back to you. Yeah, that actually has a nice ring to it. You need to like stamp that trademark. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we all know that as leaders, sometimes opportunity knocks and we open the door with like welcome arms. Uh, Dion, I know that when opportunity knocks, you want to walk in the opposite direction. <laughs> something that you essentially wanted to go into, but you found yourself almost like falling forward into it. Um, can you share your experiences when it comes to kind of conquering your fears and maybe going in a direction where you initially didn't want to go that way? Yeah, sure. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it was fear so much as just not really something I thought about. I mean, when I became a physical therapist, my focus was really on learning the craft, the science, uh, the art of it, uh, and really making those very intimate connections that we make with our patients. and and gaining capacity there. I think I fell into it more because in the, in the spirit of people know me as, people know me as somebody who can't let things just sit unattended to. And by things, I mean problems to solve. So besides the patient puzzle that comes in our door every day uh, are other logistical things that 
need uh, tending to. And, um, you know, very early in my career as a staff physical therapist, there were things that people just didn't want to deal with. And I can't, uh, I can't work that way. Um, as a little girl, my mother said, always leave the place better than you found it. So if there was something that no one else was willing to do, I wanted to get it done. <laughs> uh, I think other people saw in that the potential for me to become a more purposeful leader. Uh, and that's really what changed over the course of my trajectory was, was being more intentional. Uh, so for instance, deciding to run for uh, positions within an APTA component or for the APTA board, uh, certainly uh, making the decision to become the president and CEO of Sheltering Arms that I am now. Really, as I got older and more experienced and more confident in my leadership skills, I could, I could be more intentional about those decisions. Awesome. And on the other hand, we have some people who were destined for leadership from the start and they always knew that's what they wanted to do. Um, Dr. Locke, would you like sharing just your journey to leadership and what it means to you to be a leader? Certainly, Blake. Uh, good evening again, everyone. Leadership to me is not something that I fell into. It's not something that um, was ever not a part of my desire um, in physical therapy or in life. I had the fortunate experience of growing up in a very strong community in the Deep South, and therefore I had a very strong affinity for the needs of other individuals in the community, whether those needs were socioeconomic, educational, or physical for that matter. I also grew up with a strong sense of knowing that access is not the same for everyone or for every group. And therefore, looking into the, the medical profession was a very simple move for me. Um, my family is both medical um, and education oriented. And therefore, I saw those early examples in my siblings going off to college and pursuing their dreams. I, on the other hand, had a dream of becoming something that no one knew what it was, and that was a physical therapist. And so I began that journey to understand how physical therapists impact society. And I wanted to be a part of that. After graduation from PT school and going to uh, work at two different hospitals, I gravitated toward the public school system in a rural part of the state that had a very high percentage of children who were unidentified through no fault of anyone, but through their circumstance. And because of that, I identified students who needed physical therapy and were able to uh, work with others in order to bring those student needs to the forefront. Following that experience, I gravitated toward clinical education and uh, the students drew me into the academy. Um, I also, over the course of those years, developed some very strong alliances with colleagues that were teaching. And so that was my ushering into the higher education uh, academy and brought in the leadership that I had picked up from other areas, from not only uh, my beginnings in Louisiana, but my education in Virginia, and then moving forward. Once we get to a point where our desire meets our ability and competence. Opportunity has a way of showing up. And the opportunity showed up when I became a director of clinical education, later a faculty emerita, and now an executive director of a physical therapy program in New Jersey. 
What I find is that leadership is a natural gravitation for me. I wake up every morning wanting to make a difference. I leave my office in the evening hoping that I did make a difference with at least one person that I encountered. I also come to understand that, that phrase that leadership is not about being in charge. It is about taking care of those in your charge. And so every day, the people that are around me energize me here at Kane University to not focus on who's in charge, but who's helping who to become more of what they expect to be within their own careers. So the leadership uh, trajectory for me has not been a linear experience. I did not have many role models to, to see, to look at, to pattern behind, but as time moved on, um, from the early 80s and, and toward today, those great leaders that hopefully I'll have a chance to mention them a little bit later, but they are the shoulders that I stand on. They are the ones who paved the way for us in many different areas. And before I leave the mic, hopefully, Blake, it's okay for me to mention that part of my leadership desire came from the nonprofit world. I have the advantage of being involved in some nonprofit associations and agencies, being board chair, I'm still serving on a state board. And that further solidifies that leadership is an opportunity. It's never a problem. It's never too much. It's never too little. It is an opportunity to make a difference. And I just feel very blessed to be in a position to do so. Blake, I've got a follow-up if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Dr. Locke, the, the, the title of this presentation is Women Can Lead. You, you said that leadership to you had this gravitational pull. Um, but as I have heard my whole life, sometimes women are overlooked in leadership roles or even told when they stand up that really maybe they should quiet down, maybe they shouldn't lead. Um, the title really is Women Can Lead. What would you say to those women who feel that gravitational pull but are told or either verbally or you know externally or internally, they're, they're, they're told, I mean, I'm really not your place. Those people who want to take that step or maybe feel like, maybe I shouldn't. What would you say to them? Everyone has the capacity to lead. The question becomes, how are you going to reach your goals? How are you going to navigate through all of the discouragement to find encouragement? There was a model that existed um, many years ago uh, that uh, self-perpetuated in leadership. And it left women out. All of the models that we saw were not women. Most of the models that we saw were not persons of color. In order to be a leader, one has to see an issue as an opportunity. I would encourage anyone who has the capacity to lead to step outside of the box. Please do not stay inside of a box where you do not, where you feel comfortable or where you feel fearful of stepping into a new zone because you do not see yourself in that zone. The reason you don't see yourself there is because you haven't stepped in yet. And so one of the reasons um, that we must encourage women to continue to pursue and to be sustainable and resilient in leadership roles is that the world, the world is calling us. That same pull that calls me is calling a lot of women. There are a lot of students in physical therapy school that are feeling that same call now and are trying to identify what pathway they're going to use. So I would say rather than look at 
what is missing. Look at what you can add to the culture of physical therapy by your presence, by your lived experiences on a day-to-day -day basis and be fearless. Dr. Dixon, you got something to add to that? Yes, um, that, that's, I just, I, I love the question. And I've encountered that so many times in my career. Um, it is super discouraging um, to not see someone like yourself, to not see people that you can identify with by, by, any, by any means, by skin color, by race, by culture, anything. Um, and I've experienced that so many times that, you know, I, I, I love, I just felt that I really needed to add to this question. I want to encourage everyone that's listening. Um, you don't need a title to lead. You can lead by example. And I say that to say that a lot of times when you are stepping into a place where women or someone like you has not occupied before, you're going to get a lot of no's. And you're going to realize that the tribe that's going to follow you is going to start looking at what you're doing. And you don't need someone to appoint you a title in order to do that. You really want to make sure that you start leading by your actions and really stepping out and doing the things necessary to create the space that you're looking for. And also to add a, a lot to what Dr. Locke has said, if you don't see the thing that you want, you have to go out and create it. Sometimes you have to create your own table if you can't find a table to sit at. You have to make sure that you create the opportunities for you. And a lot of people are very timid in that, but I, I would encourage you guys, that this is the one time that you get to actually create your reality. You can lean into your creativity, your innovation, to really create something special because it's tailored to you. And the beauty of it is that you're gonna open doors for people behind you. So really lean into that. Bring in Carmen, then go back to Dr. Locke. So Carmen, you've, you've got something to add to that. Feel free. Yeah, thanks, uh, Jimmy. Yeah, I, I mean, to add to what Dr. Locke just said too, and Dr. Dixon, you know, throughout my career, I also realized that I have come to the conclusion that maybe just maybe some roles just weren't meant to be. Uh, no matter how hard you push, how much you knock down the door, maybe it just wasn't for you. And, uh, you know, as I look at women, especially women of color in the C-suite roles, I remember my pursuit in my career and uh, one position in particular I applied for. I had all the quali qualifications. I had the expertise. I had the educational background and I didn't get the job. And I remember seeing the person that they hired uh, look totally different than me and seeing the background of the person, didn't have the qualifications, didn't have the education, neither the experience. And I remember all the emotions that I felt. Uh, I was angry, I was sad, I was in disbelief, just so many different emotions. But in hindsight, I just thought maybe it was not for me. And with that said, what other opportunities can I pursue? And what else can I look for that I would feel like I belong to? So I have come to that conclusion. Sometimes we try to knock down doors that maybe just weren't for us. And to Dr. Dixon's point, find another table to go to, create your own table, knock down another door. It's not the end of the world. Dr. Locke, we started with you with this, this question, but I think you've got some more to add after hearing from those women. Feel free. Definitely, wonderful points from um, from uh, Dr. Dixon and from Carmen Elliott, I would just like to add that for all of the no's, and there were several no's, no, you can't go further than this. No, you cannot 
move beyond this. I looked at the word no, and I said, next opportunity, please. <laughs> it's like not that. necessarily no to me. It's no to that situation, but I must look at the next opportunity. So I began to redefine what the word no actually means. Sometimes it means you must rise to the next highest level in your career, in your life. You may not know that at the time that you get the no, but the stage is already set for that next opportunity. And to inspire women who are receiving the no's, just as you know, many of us have here on the panel, look at the next opportunity and find your path there. Let's bring in someone who hasn't got a chance to speak. And believe me, when I haven't had a chance to speak, I get itchy. Karen, you haven't had a chance to talk just yet. Uh, let's stick with this, this topic here, which was the title, right? Women Can Lead. You had an opportunity to break away from a clinical role to a leadership role. So as you hear these comments, what do you notice as similarities, differences, or things we either have talked about or haven't talked about just yet around this idea? Right. Yeah, I think... Um, well, you, you mentioned the switching from a clinical role into a leadership role, and I, I'd like to touch on that because I think that that can be a big obstacle or a struggle for many people who are considering leadership. You know, we go into physical therapy, not because we've gone to business school, but because we want to be physical therapists and help people from a clinical perspective. And it's an incredibly rewarding job. And taking that next step to maybe giving up some of that treatment time can be really challenging and a difficult step to take. Um, and it's one, one that I definitely struggled with. Um, clinical skills were always my goals to you know, continue to further um, and, and to be a better clinician myself. It's very rewarding, as I said, to help those patients to, to get better. So it was hard to reconcile with moving into leadership where I wouldn't treat anymore um, on a regular basis. And what has helped me reconcile that is the fact that I can use those same skills that I love as a clinician of helping people you know, see their potential, um, helping them figure out how they want to grow and help have intimate conversations with them. You know, I, I'm not the first one that spoke up because I am more of a quiet leader. Um, I, I don't have a strong commanding presence in a room by any means, but I listen a lot. And I think that's one thing that made me good as a clinician and makes me good as a leader. So you can you can use those skills of listening and nurturing um, and really tapping into people's ability to grow and meet their goals mm -hmm. as a leader. And that can be equally rewarding. Um, on top of that, you can be an advocate for them to make sure that they do have those opportunities to have excellent clinical skills or um, other opportunities to meet their goals. Yeah. I mean, you touched on a few things there. Number one, the question I, I ask often a lot as I work in a non-clinical role is, can you touch a patient without ever touching a patient? And you highlight that, Karen, by being an advocate for people and as well as to, to emanate what Dr. Locke had mentioned, which is a great term we love in our profession, which is servant leader. Blake, you wanted to add to that as well. Yeah, I did. And Karen, you already mentioned like when we go through schooling, they prepare us to be a physical therapist, but I do feel like there's a gap in being a physical therapist and being a leader. So how do you work with either new clinicians or students to encourage them or how can others serve as a mentor role if they are watching this and they want to help someone else be a leader? How can you develop that or what are some situations or some things that you want people to think about when it comes to again, transitioning from just, I'm a physical therapist, but I'm also a leader. I'm not just a one size fit all kind of person. Right. Um, 
I think you have to, first of all, there are many ways that you can lead as, as that's been tapped into through these conversations. And so spending time with, with folks and finding out what are their passions, you know, what is it that you really want to grow? For some people, a later, leader may mean in management, you know, that's sort of the typical pathway that we think of. But a leader may also be someone who is developing a special program or somebody who is leading a group of clinicians across that program, or somebody who has um, you know, great organizational skills, and perhaps we tap into that with their ability to, to lead the clinic uh, through organization and, and what we need to do for, for audits and that sort of thing. So you know, really finding out what are people good at, what do they enjoy doing, um, and utilizing those skills to help, help others, because you know, that's really what it's about, it, it is helping others. Tian, you wanted to add to that? I did. So I, uh, one thing, Jimmy, that you and I and, and Karen um, have in common in this is we're, we're physical therapists who took on leadership roles outside of the traditional definition of what a physical therapist is and does. Uh, and interestingly enough, I, I don't have a hard time selling that to people who aren't physical therapists. When, when people say, what do you do? I'm a physical therapist. I also am an add on the rest. It's our colleagues in physical therapy who, who I've gotten comments from of, oh, well, you're not really a physical therapist anymore, are you? Well, no, no, that's actually core to everything I do uh, and everything that I think and how I put it all together um, is, is rooted in that fundamental truth. Um, but I think it's, it's easy for us to sort of box into more conventional pictures or frames um, what what all one is and does when you say that's a physical therapist. So those of us that, that blaze this alternative trail, uh, I think are challenged that way. Yeah, Dr. Uh, and that's Dr. okay. Dr. Lockett touched on this. It's, it's how do you define that? And Dr. Lockett, you, you wanted to chime in here as well. Sure, I, I just wanna say, uh, Jimmy, that often leaders are looked on to have formal titles. And I said earlier, everyone has the capacity to lead. Let's face it, in any leadership position, one of our responsibilities is to create a succession plan because ultimately someone else will be stepping into the role of leadership where you are. It's so important to, to recognize the leadership qualities and the people that are around you. Um, the folks that have those qualities, have them and they're accustomed to seeing it. Often when leaders step into a new environment, it is a learning curve, a learning process to find out what areas of leadership highlight the individuals that you're around every day. So I just wanna say that you don't have to have a formal title to be a leader. And often people wait for that. Um, they wait for the opportunity to present itself on paper or on a contract when actually the opportunity is with us daily to develop the skill sets so that when the formal title and the increased accountability come, we'll be ready for that. Dr. Dixon, I, you know, I really wanted you to add uh, something there, you know, the, about the plight of women. I, I feel like you, you've got a great comment to throw in here. I think it's something that needs to be shared. Oh, sure. Um, as you know, I, it, it just struck me as I'm listening to these amazing women speak that you know, th this is the thing that women struggle with as in, in terms of their place in society or what people perceive as our place should be. You know, we are seen as one thing. You're only a mother. You can only be a mother. You can only be a wife. 
wife of someone, you know, you can only be one thing. We have um, the limitations and the assumptions of society that really bottleneck us into certain roles. So when we try to step out of that, you know, it really challenges us and challenges our faith in ourselves, our self-confidence, our, our self-assurance that we can actually do something new and do something different. Um, and way too often, I think society wins. And I really want to encourage all you guys that are listening out there to you know, challenge the status quo. Like we are, we, we are so, more, so much more dynamic than the one title of anything that you can ever offer to anyone. Um, your name is a starting point and what that name carries and what that name can do and command in a room is so dynamic. So I really encourage everyone to lean in and explore all of the sides of the person that you are um, in your profession, in your career and in your life. Yeah, I love that you were chiming in there because of that that comment I mentioned earlier, that phrase, people know me as, people know me as, mm-hmm. they will know you as who you present them as. Uh, Karma, we're going to bring you in next. And this goal really is Women Can Lead's five stories. Um, what story can we tell next for the audience? Uh, I was always taught, hey, become the person that you needed when you were younger, right? So what stories can you share now as we start to get a little bit warmed up? You guys aren't shy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just really quickly, Jimmy, I wanted to make a, a comment um, in reference to Karen's earlier comment about quiet leadership. And I, I really appreciated that because, you know, being a being a female and um, African American cisgender female, uh, to Dr. Dixon's point, a lot of times we are put into this box, and when we try to vocalize or amplify our voices, we are deemed maybe just not being very friendly. Uh, I often heard the term uh, not reference to me, but an angry black woman, which is just really horrible. And these terms are said about people, which all we're trying to do is just reach outside the box that we were placed in. And I, I always believe that being a leader is, life, is a lifelong learning process. It's not about being the loudest person in the room, the first person to answer a question. It's a lifelong journey. It's a skill set that's acquired. Uh, so I, I really appreciate that comment about quiet leadership because you can lead where you are doesn't mean you have to have the title to lead. You can lead specifically where you are. So with that said, shifting gears a bit, I, my story is, and I, I share with the group during our pre-call, for me, uh, early in my career, uh, I know I always wanted to be a leader. Just throughout my high school, my college years, I was always involved in something. I led uh, social groups, uh, was the leader of the National Honor Society on down a list. So I always enjoyed the role of being a leader. Uh, with that said, early in my career, I was working full time, had a, a pretty high level position as a manager uh, position where I was. I was going to school part time and I was a mom, which requires all of my time. And I had to learn early on how to balance that uh, work life balance because I was a single mom. So with that said, I mean, I mean, I had to literally have conversations with my leader at the time to help them better understand that I need to be at the school meetings. I need to be at the baseball games. And uh, for a while, it took me to really 
be vocal enough to admit that I needed this extra time. I was so scared of losing my job. I was overly productive. I always made sure I did everything on time. Deadlines were met. Uh, I just really extended myself just to be sure that I was recognized for the work because I was trying to really cover the fact that I'm a single mom and I have all of this going on. And I eventually just stopped because it was so exhausting and just said, hey, I, I need this time. So my work, I produce great work. I have a great work product, but this is what needs to happen. And I was just really amazed at that time how understanding my leader was. So I think sometimes we, we kind of have it in the back of our mind that if we don't say anything and just move along and normalize things, that is okay. But every now and then we have to speak up. We need to be vocal. We need to get folks to understand where we are coming from. We're not in that box, as Dr. Dixon said. We are multidimensional people. And um, there are a lot of things we have going on, a lot of things we're juggling. And uh, that's one thing I can say about women. We have the resilience, we have the grit to make things happen. Uh, but with that said, we also need to be vocal and let folks know when we just need that space and that time to be able to take care of ourselves because we can't be of help to anyone else if we're not taking care of ourselves. If I could just add to that, you know, what you said there in that story, Carmen, was important. We're all prone to putting people in boxes. Mm -hmm. uh, so the assumption was that that your leader wouldn't understand and and it was definitely a risk because you'd experienced other other situations where they weren't understanding but but that's a part of really learning your leadership capacity is what risks are you willing to take and when are you willing to take them uh, and some of that involves risking learning about um, people in a way you didn't expect it certainly can involve being vocal, but even just your own decisions about who you're vocal to um, is, is part of the leadership development journey, I think. Thank you for chiming in. All right, so um, uh, I think Carmen and Dr. Lucky, you, you sort of inspired my next question. So we're gonna go around. I'd like for all the panelists to ask, uh, answer this one. You've all sort of alluded to in one way, shape or form, good qualities, positive qualities of a leader so let's let's see if we can we can go around the room and, and figure out what do you think is an important quality? There there have to be a lot, so I won't ask you to say which one's the most important, but what one comes to mind, what one strikes you and someone says, Hey, what's a great quality to have in a leader? Who wants to go first? A leader would go first. <laughs> I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> so and it's probably not one word, but I would say to accept feedback as a gift. And just hearing from others, you have to be willing to learn to be open to feedback. It helps you to grow. So I, that's something I have learned throughout my career journey, leadership journey, accept feedback as a gift. Don't look down on it. Don't take it as someone trying to uh, you know, make you feel bad or whatever the case may be, but accept it as a, as a gift and learn from what they are sharing with you. Excellent, well put. I'll go next. Um, one of the things that I struggled with early on, which, which I wish I would have realized sooner, was that failure is a blessing. Um, you know, so many times we're we're afraid of failing. We've been put into a leadership position because we work hard and we do succeed, um, and we see failure as as something that's that we should run from or, or be ashamed of. And so many times, those are the best learning experiences. 
you know, it, it's not the easy path that that is rewarding. It's the one that's the most challenging, just like we see with our patients, right? When we, when we have that one patient that comes in the door and is better in five visits and easy peasy, we don't remember them so well. But the one that came in and, and said, uh, you know, oh, I, I don't know why I'm here. My doctor told me to come here. I've never been to physical therapy. I don't believe in it. And they have, you know, many comorbidities and five different diagnoses and they leave being grateful for, for what they've achieved during that time. You know, those obstacles or those moments of, of feeling like, what am I gonna do with this patient? What am I gonna do with, with this employee? You know, those, those are the opportunities that you really get to push yourself and, and make some great memories. Well, hold on a second, Karen. I'm going to push back a little bit, right? So okay. the audience might be saying like, well, of course, Karen can, she's on the stage here. She can say, yeah, embrace failure. It's great because she's already there. She's made it. So how about a story? Like, is there an example that comes to mind? I'm sure if you're saying that there's lots of examples where uh, fail was first attempt in learning and it was the, the obstacle was the way. Is there something that you can, a story, because this is the stories about, about, examples in leadership does any favorite failure of yours come to mind a favorite failure gosh <laughs> well i do try to to forget about those failures eventually and just take what i've learned from them <laughs> um, gosh i i don't know about a favorite failure but i remember a very key moment when i felt like a failure okay um, where i was it was I was probably working with about 10 to 12 clinics at the time. Um, I was a new mom. My husband was traveling quite a bit for work and I just felt like I'm failing at everything I do. You know, I'm not, I'm not being the best mom. I'm not being the best wife. I'm not being the best physical therapist. I'm not being the best uh, leader. You know, there were just so many aspects where I felt like a failure. And um, I considered leaving my job at that point. And when I talked to my boss about it, who happens to also be a female, um, her first thing, her answer was for me to take on more responsibility. Um, Wait a <laughs> she minute. said to me, you know, Karen, education is something that you are very passionate about. I think it's time for you to get involved with our clinical education department. And, you know, in that moment, I thought, what the heck? I'm telling her I'm overwhelmed, I'm failing, and she wants to add more. And it was the best thing for me. Um, I became involved with our clinical education department. It, it ignited my passion. Um, it made me see the perspective of how I could help people more. Uh, I think it changed my, the, the way I approached leadership even. You know, before I was sort of managing metrics and numbers and trying to rate my success based on those numbers instead of really focusing on what mattered and developing those relationships with clinicians and and looking at the growth as as the success so was it the more or was it more of a of the thing that you needed it sounds like it sounds like it was yeah. you, were, you were lacking the thing you needed yes exactly it, it was more work for sure um, i started off working with our ocs study group and then eventually worked with our comt um, course helping to 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 uh, co-lead that and i um and, and so yeah it was a lot more work it was and it was going back to the books to make sure that i was you know prepared to to teach folks but it was the passion that drove me and it, it got me excited and changed my path so sometimes more work is better that right work that good match all right who's who else wants to chime in blake you're you're not off the hook for answering this one as well <laughs> 
Um, so for a leader, I think one of the things that somehow isn't getting taken with them to the top is the empathy. Um, I think everyone has spoken to at least some instance where they shared their story, even with Carmen saying, I need a moment, I need this time, I need to take care of myself. Um, I think that empathy makes a good leader, not just because like I can relate to what you're doing, but I can see myself in that position as well. Um, I think if we're able to use that as leaders, and again, this is a, a panel of amazing women that all have different experiences, different walks of life, but in everyone's story, I can hear and relate to something and there's that empathy tie. And as long as you're looking at others and those who you are leading per se from wherever you are leading, I think that's the important thing of a leader that needs to be taken. Like the empathy does make a huge difference. Well said. Who else wants to chime in? Who's got that, that opportunity to, to talk about that, maybe that quality that you'd like to maybe improve upon yourself or that you think needs to be in a leader? I'll go next. I believe that leaders are influential. And I believe that quality and developing that quality will allow us not only to be better leaders and better managers of our time and our responsibilities, but it will also teach us some things about what we don't know. Um, for those who know me, they know that I'm always searching for, tell me what I don't know. There's a lot I don't know. Tell me what I don't know. And what we don't know are the lived experiences of others that we believe that we're leading when all the while it's an exchange of influence that often the individuals that you believe that you're leading are leading you as well. Because if you use a visionary approach, you'll see that and feel that influence not only as a part of your space, but coming from the spaces of others as well. That to me strengthens organizations. If I had to choose between influence and power, I'll always choose influence because I believe we touch more lives that way. We actually are touched more that way and develop more of our leadership qualities uh, than we could have ever imagined. Just wanna say a, another word about leadership in terms of how we, how we use that. How do we use the opportunity to lead? Um, and, and my response to that would be to empower others to develop the leadership within themselves. Um, we have to see a lot of projects completed, do we not? You know, look across the panel and look at the variety of responsibilities that we have. And technically we have to see that it is done and be a part of the let's do it together rather than you do it. Uh, you do it <laughs> or you do it. Um, and so we learn how to do a lot of things from the ground level up as physical therapists. Um, and once we are in leadership positions, it is our responsibility to empower others to do the same, to look for those qualities within themselves that they may not recognize. I like what, um, what uh, Karen said earlier that her supervisor gave her more responsibility. And that was the visionary in that individual. She saw something in you that you did not see in yourself. She allowed herself to be influenced by that information and therefore was able to empower you to be where you are now. All right, Gian, let's hear from you for this, uh, this, this, this quality question in, in a great leader. Uh, for me, whatever your style, quiet, not quiet, um, however you, act as a leader at the end of the day, especially if you're in a formal leadership role, 
you're accountable for making decisions and owning them. Uh, and that's not always easy to do, particularly if the decision you make turn, didn't turn out the way you expected. Uh, but accountability has a lot uh, to do with your credibility as a leader, uh, particularly in the eyes of others. And when you were asking Karen earlier about her uh, favorite failure story, uh, mine was when I was uh, probably out of school, two or three years, I worked on the cardiothoracic acute surgical ward. There was one surgeon in particular whose protocol for removing external pacer wires was different than his colleagues. And uh, for a lot of reasons, uh, I inadvertently violated that protocol. He was not a nice person to most of the, the staff, the nurses or the medical staff, so much so that they were willing to cover for me. They were literally willing to hide the fact that I had made that error. The patient was fine, but they, they knew that it would still be a problem. And I told them I couldn't do that. I needed to report it to him because I figured the patient would if no one else did. So I contacted him. And uh, he was free to see me. So I went down to his office and said, you know, I'm going to tell you something I don't think you're going to like. And he said, well, what is it? And I explained what happened. And he looked at me and said, did you kill him? <laughs> I said, no, he's fine. I reported all the data. He said, all right, sit down and let me tell you why I'm the only surgeon in this practice who has this particular protocol. And he shared a story when he was a fellow of losing a patient with the more aggressive protocol that his colleagues used. That taught me everything I needed to know about accountability. He trusted me in ways he didn't know he could after that moment, but I had to own the decision that I first made the mistake and second, it was my responsibility to let him in on it. And I think that really frames a lot of my leadership style. I love that. Dr. Dixon, we've yet to hear from you. So you've been able to listen to a lot of these responses. I don't know if that helps or hurts because a lot of great answers have been taken. I know all of the good stuff is taken, but um, what I, what I will, what 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 has stayed with me um, and continues to guide me to this day um, as someone who did not seek out leadership and it fell kind of fell into my lap, is that you? I think great leaders are comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, we talk a lot when we talk about leadership about all of the grand things um, in terms of being a leader and being powerful and being inspiring, being an advocate, um, being innovative. Um, and a lot of times, you know, to, um, to Diane's story, we don't talk about the things that are, that are not, that are not great about leadership, about leaning into, um, areas that you may not know, and yet still having the courage to act to being, you know, transparent about what you do know and what you can bring to the table and what you can't bring to the table. I think a good leader really knows their strengths and their weaknesses and is able to get the team on board um, to play, to get to the end goal, um, respecting those, um, those, those qualities. And uh, very much the, the leaders that um, think that they know everything and don't feel that they need to listen to everyone are the ones that, you know, we typically hate, you know? So in terms of really figuring out, you know, for, you know, everyone that's listening, um, be, be, com be getting comfortable with not knowing things, but still having the courage to act is probably one of the greatest things that you can do as a leader. Um, lean into the people around you, find out the things that make you uniquely you, act on that strength, and then be humble enough to seek out the things that you don't so that you can move yourself forward and move your target forward. That's what I would say. Well said. Awesome. 
Um, so I'm not sure if you all know the theme for this year's Women's History Month. It's actually uh, providing healing and promoting hope. So in the spirit of that, um, we're going to talk about hope for the future. So um, I'm not sure, if, well, I'm sure we all know that in the physical therapy profession that women are at a growing rate, physical therapists and physical therapist assistants, however, the leadership roles are still not balanced. There's still more men in these leadership roles. What would be your hope for the future or what is your hope for this next generation? And on the pre-call, you spoke about how we have women from different eras and different uh, just uh, kind of <laughs> to see how things have changed from the beginning to now. So I'd love to hear just from what you've already seen, how things have changed, but also what is your hope for the future and what are some things we're going to do to perpetuate that? Anyone can take the floor. It's really open. I would like to hear anyone who wants to share on it. Dr. Locke, do you want to go first and I'll follow since we're the we're the veterans in the group? <laughs> Dr. Jewel, I can always count on you. <laughs> <laughs> certainly, certainly. We're on a continuum in physical therapy, just as we are uh, in life. We're on a continuum. Just as we weren't born into leadership, we may have had the desire, we had to develop. And the profession of physical therapy is no different. Our continuum is exactly that. One of the reasons why we don't see, uh, we did not see many women leaders, many women of color leaders, many men of color leaders, is that the model didn't start out that way. And it is very difficult to challenge ourselves to do then what we are able and have recognized to do now. And so my hope for the profession is that we will continue along this continuum in a positive direction, take no, no opportunity to move backwards in time, but to recognize, as um, Dr. Dixon so ably put it, that we are in a very special and an interesting time in our lives, within our profession. Being inclusive of women, being inclusive of historically marginalized groups, being inclusive of the non-traditional or the career changing student, having an opportunity to place ourselves at the forefront of this change is my hope for this profession. But also is the opportunity for us to be able to measure the change that we are all talking about. We have to be able to look at the continuum of leadership in this profession and actually say, here are the statistics that support our inclusivity. Here are the numbers that show we are beginning to make advances along this continuum and in a positive way. I'm in no way advocating that men not be leaders. I'm in no way advocating that any specific groups not or no longer be in leadership. What I am advocating is inclusivity into the same spaces because the talent is here the opportunity is here. And this is one, the one decision that I made to become a physical therapist is one that I've never changed. And so the multidimensional, multimodal existence of physical therapists is seen in, in members of the panel and is seen in many individuals in our viewing audience that we have the capacity, we must continue moving forward. We must acknowledge and measure the change that we all are a part of and somehow find within us 
the ability to continue to motivate for change, the, the ability to continue to advocate in the policies and the boardrooms and be able to justify why the decisions that we made are making a difference to the next generation of PTs. Well, I can count on you to be a difficult act to follow, <laughs> but I'll try. Uh, you know, I, what I used to say to students when I was teaching full time is that when the first time you encounter a patient, you're asking a lot of them during one of the worst moments in their lives. They're sitting in front of you through no fault of their own, right? They, they got there because they're ill, they're injured, and they're devastated. And among all the things we are asked to do is to give them hope that things will improve. Uh, and we learn very early in school techniques to be able to do that, yet we're really hard at that for our own progression as professionals. We, we don't give ourselves credit for the small steps we succeed in taking. So for instance, to the earlier comments about leadership with a small L, there are so many ways to lead and to influence and to make a difference and to ignore them because they're not capital L roles uh, that you may or may not have an opportunity to fill in for or fill in um, is to really miss the chance to create hope on a much grander scale, in my opinion. Um, you touch more lives when you can see yourself as a leader in whatever capacity you're operating in. Awesome. Does anyone else want to um, take this question on? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um... I am looking forward to the next generation flipping things upside down. I cannot wait. I truly cannot wait. Um, I, I think I think the next generation, um, to Karen's point in terms of you know quiet leadership, um, is in some ways quietly turning things upside down, and we haven't noticed just yet. Um, but also are very loudly stepping into rooms that we never thought was possible for us to occupy. And I, I as part contributor, but also, you know, from a, you know, just a viewer standpoint, I'm completely enjoying the innovation and the daring and, uh, and, and, and just the, the, the general positivity that the younger generation is bringing into the PT world, specifically when it comes to leaderships. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm just excited for that. I think it's something that's well overdue. Um, and we, we have a lot of, we tend to have a lot of generational um, differences in terms of understanding who should lead. And I think we, it's high time that we recognize that different groups have different things to offer at the table. The older generation has the, has the, um, the talent of, of expertise and wisdom because they've been around and they have experiences that the younger generation doesn't have. But the younger generation have an eye for, they have an eye for things um, that sometimes we can't see because we, you know, we are still old fogies, you know, doing the, the things the way that we, um, we've done all the time. So, you know, I, I always envision a marrying of those two worlds and seeing how amazing it can be if you can pair innovation with, with technology and pair knowledge and wisdom with, with going in a different direction and reinventing solving problems that really have impact. So I'm, I'm just excited for the silent revolution that we're all gonna be part of, so. 
excited for that. Karen and Carmen, we've yet to hear from you about this question. Future, what comes to mind looking forward to? Well, I think everyone has brought up some really, really good points that I, I'm not sure I have too much to add to that, but I will say that um, the hope is and the positivity is something that we need to to hang on to, you know, and, and I do hope that everyone keeps that positivity and not look at how far we still have to come, but how far we have come. And it, it's hard sometimes to, to look at that as I was reflecting on, on some of my experiences you know, I realized that when I started off 20 years ago, um, that I was the only woman on a leadership group uh, for the for the state that I was working in. Um, I realized that you know I was the youngest at the time. I, I came right out of school and and took on a, a startup clinic, um, which somehow I had the courage to do. <laughs> um, so so I was younger. I you know I was female. Um, I was biracial. There was it was a it was a group of of, of white men that, that I was interacting with, and I sort of forgot about that um, because now the group of leaders I interact with looks much different, and it still has a way to go. You know, it's still still not as well represented as, as I would like to see, um, but. But that gives me the hope that you know we we still have to keep that positive focus and know and look at those small gains that we're making and capitalize on that and not get caught up too much on where where we still have to go. Uh, Carmen, we want to come to you. You're sitting in a building right now that is really poised about the future. APTA's uh, headquarters. Um, how do you how do you see this question, or where do you see things in the future from this point of view? Yeah, you know, I sat here and thought about this for a moment because I was standing down probably the complete antithesis of what this uh, platform is all about, right? Women can leave, but I was kind of standing down and allowing the physical therapist on a panel to talk first. But with that said, my hope, and it's very simple, just being in the role that I've been in and uh, being with APTA, uh, the organization for 15 years, and then prior to that, working for a physical therapist uh, company, I would say that the hope is that the profession will reflect the society that they serve. Uh, very simple and probably a bit to what Karen said. It's just as we see the demographics changing within our nation, that the profession will just reflect the society that it serves. That is my hope. That's something we all should be hoping for. Reflecting the society that it serves. I like that. Uh, we had a question come in. If you're watching this live stream right now, you can chime in with questions or comments as you see them flying in across here at the bottom of the screen. Uh, one that came in a little while ago really caught my eye. This is from Aaron Embry. Always asking great questions. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, what advice or guidance can the panelists give to men that find themselves blessed with the opportunity to mentor current and future women leaders? It's a good opportunity. But we got to make sure we take care of it. Understanding all the basics of mentorship, where do men seem to get it wrong so uh, i guess i'll jump in uh, dr lop you want to say something or no carmen you go <laughs> you shouldn't be standing down to us because we're physical therapists <laughs> you go <laughs> yeah uh, great question and i guess i would think um i would flip this a bit and think about men maybe not so much looking at the role as a mentor they could definitely be mentors to females but I will look to males probably being a sponsor. So 
And when I say that, I often say that mentors guide you, but sponsors advocate for you. So I really believe there is a place for males where they could sponsor uh, females, people of, of, of color by just being that advocate for that person. When they're not in the room, this is the person who will speak your name and would just mention your name um, and just bring your name up in opportunity. So I would probably recommend maybe considering how to be a sponsor, not saying you can't be a mentor, but there are opportunities there for being that ally for someone by sponsoring them, by advocating for them when they're no one, when they're nowhere around, but just being able to speak their name or bring up their name for opportunities, or maybe you should take a look at this person. She will be a great person for you to tap into. That's an interesting way to look at it. I think one of the things that um, I've always believed in, in terms of mentorship, is that first educate yourself about what being a mentor means and how important it is to provide another individual with a positive experience and a positive way of existing within the profession. It is not, in, in, in my eyes, so difficult to mentor across gender lines, across lines of race and ethnicity, across generational age lines, but it is how much do you know about the individual that you want to mentor or sponsor? Certainly it would be a faux pas to go into that relationship and not learn anything about the lived experiences the barriers to that individual, the journey, whether linear or non-linear of that individual, and then you're, you're trying to mentor them. So I believe um, where, not necessarily where men get it wrong, but where men can um, be more inclusive of women in those spaces is to realize that traditionally men have been in leadership roles um, within this profession more often more often than women have. Recognize that initially. Second, make certain that the individual that you're mentoring understands where you're coming from. How is it that you can best serve them? And so the table is open. The table is there for you to ask questions, for you to provide some guidance and some direction to a career. And as Carmen said, there are opportunities that we don't really know what goes on in some in some rooms because we're not invited there. We're, we're not invited in those spaces. We're, we're not a part of those conversations. And so because we're not, enlighten us on what those conversations are if they are different. Provide an opportunity for forward movement and do not feel or shirk away from the, the possibility that this could be the individual that is a part of your succession plan. So when you provide that leadership, that guidance, that influence to a woman, realize that the space from which that individual is coming may be different from yours and respect it and find ways to generate progress in that person's career. Don't just mentor them and then they are left with no skills to advance vertically. Um, oftentimes mentorship will help you with those horizontal moves, but sponsors will help you with vertical moves. 
from, from uh, Dr. Locke and Carmen, who else? Dr. Dixon? Yeah, I'd like to jump in here. As, a, as I'm listening to you ladies, the most uncanny story popped into my head, which was my first boss out of PT school. Um, I won't say his name. He, he was a very interesting individual. Um, but I never forgot in the very short time that he was my boss, I never forgot that he came up to me one day and he was just like, you know what, Danelle, you're really good. You should write the OCS. And I remember thinking, this man is crazy. I just graduated <laughs> from PT school. I don't know what I'm doing. He, there's no way, there's no way. And it took me a while. And I, by a while, I would say maybe at least a year or two for me to have the confidence in myself to attempt to go there because I thought the way to get to that level of expertise relied on experience. And what he saw in me was that I didn't need that. So what I would say to the men in the room, open a door for a woman, all right? The one thing that we lack, a lot of times it's not that we don't have the expertise, it's not that we don't have the talent, we don't have the opportunity as Dr. Locke said. So be a visionary for that person that you're working with if you're going to mentor and work with them. Be a visionary, take a step back, scan the room, and see what that person can bring to the table that no one else can, which means that you really have to get to know them to Dr. Locke's point right and be a visionary for that person and open a door for that woman that's in that room that she can't open herself karen do you want to ch chime in on this one anybody else sure yeah i think one thing that i would like to add on to this is um don't try to solve any problems or lead mm -hmm. the path for them you know um i hear oftentimes in relationships that men try to fix things and we don't need you to fix something for us. Um, we don't need the answer. Sometimes we need to talk it through. And this is for, for anyone, you know, it's, it's not just a gender thing, but really you, you need to, you need to talk through and, and find out what is guiding that person and help them find the answer by asking the right questions, not by telling them the answer yourself. Good point. Before we move on, Deanna, did you want to chime in? Uh, sure. You know, I think the other thing, and this is really true independent of the gender of the mentor, a good mentor is self-reflective uh, and really understands where they've been and where they're going and, and what their filters are as they do that or their, or their touchstones. Uh, being able to articulate that um, is very helpful. And I think it, particularly when there are differences, whether they're gender differences, cultural differences, whatever they might be, being being authentic about those things in yourself, not as a better than or a, a different than or what have you, but just this is who I am, uh, opens doors. People people will trust you uh, more when you're able to do that. I, I guess the other thing I would say is that a challenge for mentors also, male or female, um, and from a lot of backgrounds, you're in a mentorship role because you have more experience or or more time served, as it were. It's easy to forget what it was like to be a rookie. It's really easy to forget and to come into these conversations from the perspective of the expert. And I don't mean in, a, in the sense of I know what I'm doing and don't, you know, I'll tell you what to do, but more just talking about what you're talking about as you're mentoring, you're, you're framing it all from your deep well. And um, particularly for women who may not have had the opportunities that you've had, um, that deep well is, is just, uh, you know, an obscure place. So you really have to be able to bring it back to what was it like when I first started? Um, in order to make it understandable and accessible, I think. 
Well put. Well, mention again to the the audience that questions or comments are welcome. Feel free to uh, drop them in the comments below. As uh, we just went around the uh, the panel with a question from Aaron uh, Blake, another good question in the comments. Let's probably have you, you you ask this one. Yeah, um, actually from Ruby Elizabeth, and it says, "Do you have any tips for new grads on how to select an employer that will allow women the space to be leaders?" All right, who wants to take this one? Well, I'll jump in. I, I guess the first thing I would say is whether it's a leadership opportunity or some other objective that you have, um, asking about a track record is a great place to start. I think uh, new professionals uh, often forget that, yes, you're being interviewed, but it's also your opportunity to interview the prospective employer and you shouldn't be shy about it. But you do have to think about what is the question you want to have them answer. Uh, so when you say space to be leaders, uh, you'll want to think about what do you actually mean by that um, so that you can dig a little deeper with that em uh, prospective employer as to what they've done in the past or what they're doing currently. Yeah, interview is a two-way conversation for information, right? It's a negotiation for information. Uh, what other advice is Ruby's asking for, for new graduates who are earlier on in their profession? I'll uh, provide some. Oh. Um, I... I <laughs> I'm, I'm big in the screen, so I'll go. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, making sure that you ask what pathways they do have for upward mobility and what opportunities there is for growth. Um, is it just leadership? Are there other opportunities, as I mentioned before, of maybe it's a skill set that you have that you're interested in developing? Um, so finding out more about how they mentor um, and provide those opportunities for people to grow and learn and then ask for examples and hear the, the, the stories of the people who have grown into certain positions or developed those positions. And that will give you an idea of how diverse that group is. Well I work with a lot of new grads <laughs> and um, have seen um, 29 years of new graduates. And what I can say is that don't be afraid to be the only. Don't walk away from a fantastic opportunity because you arrive and you're the only woman or you're the only person of color. Remember, we are on a continuum. The practice, the employer with whom you are interviewing is also on a continuum. And it very well may be one of the strategic objectives of that business is to provide more opportunities to women, provide more opportunities uh, in order to place themselves in a greater competitive position with other businesses that offer the same uh, product or the same service. So not being afraid to be the only, I've, I've been the only in most situations uh, that I have encountered. And that is why my earlier comment of be fearless um, was said very early. Um, and that is fear will keep you away from great opportunities. You have to somehow master that and not look at what is not there, but also with the opportunity to be the first to create a continuum that moves in sync with where the world is right now and is going. Dr. Locke with the hashtag of the night so far, be the only, I like that. Uh, any other closing comments around, the, around that one before we moved on? Anybody else want to chime in? I take your silence as agreement. 
All right. I like asking questions like this next one because um, I think things start and end with people. That's why tonight is Women Can Lead, five stories with leaders. Um, how about this? Mentors who helped guide you. Who are those people? Let's let's earlier. Uh, I think Dr. Dixon had a, a story where she didn't mention someone's name, but let's let's mention let's name drop and mention some good examples of mentors and how they were able to to guide and lead you to use those as examples. Maybe we can take those into the future. Who wants to talk about a person who helped guide them? I'll do it. Uh, the person that I uh, really was instrumental early in my career is a cardiothoracic surgeon named Albert Garati. He was uh, hired from Canada to re refresh the heart transplant program here at what was then called MCV Hospitals in Richmond and to start a lung transplant program. And he wanted a physio, as he referred to us, to head up the rehabilitation program for the transplant recipients, both pre and post-operatively. No one in my department wanted to take that on because they viewed that invitation as um, setting bad precedent, that a doctor would be telling us what to do. I was a new grad, literally like eight months out of school when he landed, and went to talk to him to find out about the opportunity. And what he offered me was education anywhere I needed it because I was a new grad and didn't know a lot, but also said, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to do because you're the expert in rehabilitation, but I need you to be these things in my program. Uh, and that mentorship, uh, not just in that moment, but over the course of my time in that group was first to recognize that I brought something unique to the table. So to Dr. Locke's earlier point about the only, I was the only rehabilitation professional of any kind in that group. But he saw the value in that and opened a door. And it was my job to either step through it or not. Uh, and the fact that I did and he made good on his promise has stayed with me throughout my career. Great story. Who's up next? Sharing time. I actually have uh, a, like just like a brief story about just mentorship, but the importance of reaching out and giving just a little bit of your time, actually. So... Um, I actually met Chris Wilson at a uh, APTA event and, uh, you know, just communicating. I was one of the only younger ones in the room at the time, and I had the benefit of exchanging contact information, and I followed up with an email, and he said, you know what, I'm going to put you in contact with a couple of people. And one of the people um, actually was Dion, and I emailed her, and I reached out, and I said, would you be willing to talk to me and chat? with a complete stranger which was awesome and we had a great the google meet or zoom chat and it actually led me to finding uh abca virginia and even getting involved with uh the diversity inclusion group so thank you dion for that and it's just the importance i think it just highlights that small interactions can cause a huge ripple effect because i wouldn't be here i wouldn't be in the group that i'm in now or even just making these connections so thank you i don't think i ever extended that again <laughs> Uh, but that's my brief story. <laughs> it, it was my pleasure. And and I see the fruits of our conversation before. Me, so, uh, it's it's a pleasure all the way around. Thank you. All right. So we heard from two of the ladies on the screen. Who wants to go next about talking about a great positive mentorship experience? I'll jump in there. Uh, yeah. So I have to say, as I progressed through my career, I mostly had probably more role models than mentors. Uh, 
just people who I look to as being great examples. Uh, definitely my parents, of course. But over the last few years, um, I had a few female CEO friends that I will reach out to and they will provide guidance and, and advise me on a few things. Uh, one being the previous CEO of the American Speech, Hearing and Language um, Association and Dr. Arlene Pytranton. She was actually my mentor when I was going through a, an executive leadership program. And she really worked with me on executive presence. So, you know, for those who know or don't know me, I am a five feet uh, woman. So I am probably diminutive in, in stature. So with that said, it doesn't bother me at all. But when I walk into a room, and I always like to say this, when I walk into the room, I feel like I'm the tallest person in the room. And that was something that she always worked with me on. How do you exhibit confidence? Uh, when, uh, how do you exhibit authority, uh, being authentic uh, as you go about your um, interaction with others. So until this day, I'm still honing that skill, but I thank Dr. Pytranton for just working with me on executive presence. So she has been extremely helpful to me during my career, and we still stay in contact today, even though she's retired, but we still stay in contact. Excellent. Love stories like that. Dr. Dixon, you look like you're ready to jump. <laughs> sure, I'll jump in here. Um, so someone that was very much a mentor for me, and, um, and, and I don't think that she knows this. This is an interesting story. Many, many moons ago, um, when I moved to New York City after graduating from undergrad and decided that I wanted to pursue physical therapy, I decided that I needed to get my um, observation hours and walked into Albany American Dance Theater and found the PT department and said, hey, can I shadow with you? I, I just asked. Um, didn't know anyone. And they were like, huh, okay, why not? And from that experience, I formed um, an amazing connection with one of the physical therapists there, Dr. Shea Odrifatimi. Um, she has been someone that mentored me through that process. As I got into physical therapy school, I created um, an affiliation with them to further work with them. And we've kept in touch over the years. We've done research together. And now we um, we have a company together. She's a dear friend of mine, um, a sup just superbly knowledgeable, giving up her time. And it was so amazing that I had someone at such a young age when I didn't know that I needed a mentor who was willing to say, hey, you, you should do this. Hey, look on this, look on this research project together. And it's just formed um, a lifelong connection that I cherish so much. So I was super fortunate to just to be honest, to say, hey, I want a chance. Can you give me a chance? And she was, so gracious to say, sure, why not? So I'm eternally thankful for that. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the title of uh, Terry Gross from NPR has a great book out. And it's, uh, the, the title is All I Did Was Ask, right? You walked in and you asked. Well, look where, look where it's taken you to here. Uh, who wants to jump in next about a story about a person? Great example of a mentor in their lives. I'll go next. Um, I mentioned one of my mentors earlier, my, my boss, Chandel Rhodes, and I've been fortunate to work with her for the past 15 years at least. 
Um, and she has been an excellent mentor in the fact that not, not just that because she's a woman, um, but because we share similar values. And, you know, knowing that uh, family is important to both of us is something that has been instrumental in her helping me through some difficult situations. Um, so that's a that's been a pretty obvious uh, mentor throughout my career, but also early on, someone who probably doesn't know that they were a mentor um, was a professor of mine in undergrad. Uh, all my life, I wanted to be a, a doctor. I mean, that, that was the path. I took all of my prerequisites that I needed to take for medical school by, by the end of my sophomore year because I wanted to travel abroad my junior year. I took my MCATs before. Um, I traveled to, to Europe um, my junior year of college and saw the world and had a little bit change of heart that maybe that wasn't the path I wanted to take. And when I went back to college for my senior year, um, there was a professor, Carolyn Sarson, at, at my school, which was a very small school, um, Randolph-Macon Women's College. And um, she was the one that introduced me to physical therapy. I had never been into physical therapy. I'd never had family into physical therapy, um, but she was actually the, the lead trainer at our, at our school as well. Um, and I was on the field hockey team and she just brought it up to me uh, out of the blue. And one of the courses that you know I needed to take was kinesiology. Um, it didn't fit the one time that it was offered. It didn't fit with my schedule because I had my, my senior seminar for my major at that same time. So she did a one-on-one -on -one course with me. Um, and she, she tailored it to introducing me to physical therapy and that obviously changed the, the path of my life. Um, so I am forever grateful for her for, for taking the time to do a one-on-one -on -one course with one student uh, because she thought that that was something that, that, could, that, that could lead me down a different path. And I am so grateful for it. Dr. Lockwood. that I went to a small school. I, I will uh, <laughs> I will advocate for that as well. <laughs> here for the small universities myself as well. Doc, uh, Dr. Locke, I think you you didn't have you haven't chimed in on this one yet, right? Yes, yes. You know, Jimmy, that's a that's a trick question. Asking <laughs> us to identify one person who has <laughs> who has influenced us. I have I have three actually. The person who gave me the desire and the confidence to pursue every dream that came to me to stay genuine and to stay authentically connected to that dream is my mother. And I give her so much credit um, for doing what she continues to do um, for me and inspiring me to continue on in my career. Next, there was one clinical instructor who changed my life. And her name is Ellen Hall. And she probably is not watching and she may not realize the impact that she's had on me to this very day. She was uh, my orthopedics clinical instructor and through the power of her example, gave me the opportunity to see and to experience clinical instruction um, by an African-American physical therapist, which at that time was something you just never saw. Her example of professionalism, of competence, of accountability and expectation, and I enunciate the last word, high expectations of me, allowed me to see clinical education 
from, from that level, from being a student, but I was also mentored by someone who looked like me and that was life-changing. It was so life-changing that I continued on in clinical education as a CI and later as an SCCE, and I had the desire to be a DCE, a director of clinical education. So in my taking students um, at the school system at which I worked and at the hospital at which I worked, I made a call to um, one person, and I'm sure that Dion knows who I'm talking about, and that's uh, George <laughs> Mahafer, um, mm -hmm. who was my very first clinical instructor. And I'm not sure if he's watching, but if he is, hey, George, thank you so much. Um, George uh, told me that there was a position available for an academic coordinator of clinical education, and having a relationship uh, with the university and with its students and some members of its faculty, I decided, well, why not? What I didn't know is that at the time, George was not the chair. Another gentleman by the name of Dr. Jack Ektonok uh, was the chair of that program, hired me into that position as the first African-American uh, core faculty member full-time um, at the university. And I stayed for 26 years. Wow. It was actually, uh, the, that was a door that a mentor and a sponsor opened up for me. But once that door is open, make no mistake, they're not gonna do your job for you, that's up to you. And learning the, the, the ropes of the profession through several years of evolution of the profession, the position, learning higher education, all of those efforts from my mother to Ellen, to George and to Jack have really led me where I am now. And so those shoulders are the ones that I recognize daily as being those most influential individuals. There have been many more, and I hope no one's mad at me, but the question actually was Jimmy's, to, to isolate one person, and I, I couldn't isolate just one, but what a great opportunity to know that mentorship actually follows that continuum and that one great mentor leads to the next great mentor leads to the next great mentor. Well, I've got to give a, a nod to, uh, I did my, my PT education in the great state of Virginia. And even though I've left, she's already chimed in several times on this live stream, which is the, the chair of Marymount University's PT program, Dr. Sky Donovan. Uh, without her kind of giving me the push, I say I walked to the end of a diving board, but she was the one who really gave me the push to, to do a lot of things outside of the clinic in my career, which has led me to here right now i mean all these things blake mentioned you know raising her hand and, and, and making that zoom call has led her there um I, I like how dr Locke says um that that door is open but you have to do the work right that is an invitation to take that next step and uh you should celebrate those people maybe we should maybe we should only maybe we should thank them not just on a live stream every once in a while right send those send those thank you cards send those emails and and make sure you say thank you um that's correct. Is Sky also the chair of the APTA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion uh, Committee, as she is on the APTA Board of Directors, leader, really, all over, all over the place. Um, as uh, the live stream we mentioned earlier, you can still drop a question or comment below. We would love to take some more. I think the questions so far from the audience have been uh, pretty good, Blake. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one thing I want to highlight about everything from like that was shared is we saw the different aspects of mentorship, what that looks like, even from a distance with it being a role model, like everything you do, no matter how big or small, whether it was Chris Wilson with me making the introduction, being that sponsor, whether it was, you know, stepping up while asking a stranger a question, like, can I shadow you? All of that 
is showing the different moving parts of taking initiative and making those introductions and even serving as that mentor or that sponsor. So I think it was awesome hearing all the different stories and how that materialized and what it looked like for everyone in different ways. So as we've got a little bit of time left, where do, where do we want to go next? What are some things that we haven't brought up? I don't want to, I don't want to bring this up in the last five minutes and have it be rushed. So is there anything we haven't discussed, any topics we haven't gotten to uh, from the from the women on the screen that you uh, you want to make sure you include before we uh, we wrap up? We've got about 30 minutes, which is a good amount of time, but we've got five great leaders on the screen. Jimmy, I'll jump in there. I think the only thing I would add is the importance of having a network. And uh, yeah, I, I think I kind of heard that theme throughout tonight. It's so important for women to have a network of other women that you can go to, bounce ideas uh, off of. If you have the vent, it's good to do that too. But having a network is so important, um, really just to help you in your career goals, your leadership goals, uh, personal goals, whatever it may be, but just having a strong network to go to is is really key, at least from, from my lens, I think it is. So when we get there, right, is with, a, uh, is with a network. Well, how about we do this? Carmen, that felt like a parting shot. You've been on my podcast before and that's what we do. So let's, <laughs> how about we do it? How about this? We look like, I feel like we've got a lot out. Let's go around the room. We'll go do Dr. Locke next. Parting shot, really just your chance for uh, a mic drop moment, uh, a, a final statement, a sentiment or an idea. I feel like you already have the hashtag uh, of the night, be, be the only. But what would you want to wrap up with uh, uh, for the evening? Have the opportunity. Take the opportunity. You may get no's along the way, women, but take it as the next opportunity. I believe that my parting shot would be don't give up. If you really believe in your abilities and if you have seen your own self in action, you know that you have the ability to be a leader, whether you have a formal title or an informal one. You are important and you are special and you are needed in the workforce. So regardless of whether you find yourself as uh, Carmen and I did as single parents or as, as moms, you know, regardless of look at the opportunity and not make excuses for what you cannot do. Well done. Uh, as we go around the panel, Karen, your parting shot, things you want to leave with the audience with tonight. Um, give yourself some grace. It's okay to mess up. You're not going to be perfect at everything. Um, if you're juggling work and home life, um, this work-life balance that everyone talks about, you're not going to be the perfect mom and the perfect employee at all times, but it is about giving and taking and sacrificing and giving yourself that grace when you mess up because it'll happen. But as I said earlier, hopefully you learn from that. Yes, it will. Uh, let's see, Dr. Dixon going around the horn. Um, I would say embrace the power of your unicornness. And I say that to say that each of us have something very unique to bring to the table as a woman, as a PT, um, and as a leader in your own sphere of influence, understand how powerful it is that you actually do stand out and you will stand out by leaning into the thing that makes you uniquely you. So really embrace those things, develop those, per those personality quirks or those talents or skills that differentiate you from the crowd and use that as a tool to lead 
um, where you are placed or where you decide to be. Embrace your inner unicorn. All right. Good luck following that one. But that's the other uh, job of Daniel. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> you know, I hope you take away from this session, among a lot of things, how diverse our stories are. There are common threads that bind us together uh, as women, as physical therapists, as women leaders. But my point is that no one leadership journey is the same. And that's a good thing. That means there are lots of ways for you to get to where you're going. Uh, and part of that is embracing your inner unicorn because that will lay out the path before you. So just remember, it, it's not it's not what social media projects in terms of this is success and this is the only version of success. Uh, it, it really is as varied as there are stars in the sky. See, hashtag team unicorn. Blake, there's no way I can let you off the hook here. What would you want your parting shot to be? As you came into this, I asked you what success might look like before we started. I'm guessing with that look on your face and the panelists, we probably achieved that there. But what would you want to leave uh, the audience with? Something you took away from tonight? You know, I think uh, Dion already touched on this is uh, focus on your path and your journey. Um, it's going to look different. I think that it's awesome to be able to have things that almost like can you can model off of and see how it works. But I think we touched on this when we were discussing mentors. No two stories are alike. No two journeys are the same. So even if someone gives you a handbook of how they did it, what they did, when they did it, it won't give you the same results. So really diving into, again, that unicornness of you and figuring out what your journey looks like and what you want it to look like and shaping it and then walking in that path to leadership. I do like parting shots as well. There was a great t-shirt uh, sold by the APTA and it said, uh, founded by women. And I will say founded by women, meaning our profession, but the future is female. So I like that past and the nod to the future. All right, we wrap it up. Are we done here? I think we're good. Well, thanks so much for the audience for hanging with us, having some great questions and comments. Thank you, ladies on the screen, for your time. And Blake, thanks for being our host for the evening. On behalf of uh, APTA Virginia, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology, as well as a neurologic OT fellowship, a competitive OMPT fellowship, and a speech therapy clinical fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPinecast.com. Created by Build PT. Build PT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs. From website development and hosting. Providing content marketing solutions for PT clinics across the country. See what Build PT can do for you today at BuildPT.com. The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.